Okay, here's the hard question. Did you identify with any of those guys? Hopefully the last guy. You know, I heard uh, a while back we were at the Southern Baptist Convention, and they said it's amazing how Baptists claim to be a people of the book, but we really don't read much of it, and that's absolutely true in too many cases. For those of you who have not been here, we are preaching through the Bible. Now, not through the Bible. We're really trying to get a sermon from every book in the Bible. And we've been in the Minor Prophets now for the last couple of three weeks. It's a couple of weeks ago um, that we were in Ezekiel. And we talked about the dry bones and how, how incredible the power of God is. That he can take something that is dead and breathe life into us. It's a beautiful picture of salvation. But it's a beautiful picture also of what God can do in us. When we allow the Holy Spirit, and you know what? I was thinking, Judy, when we talked about the Holy Spirit in, in Sunday school, I know to, to so many people, the Holy Spirit, well, what, do you, what do you mean yield yourself to the Spirit? What do you mean be filled with the Spirit? That's that mystical part of being a, a follower of Jesus Christ that's so essentially important that we learn to sense, to feel, and to surrender to the Holy Spirit of God. So we, we saw that in, the, in Ezekiel. Then, then we went to Daniel and saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and how that in the worst trials of our life, that, that God is there with us. He's that fourth man in the fire, and we can come out. When we stand for God, we can come out of the fire. Either he will deliver us one way, he'll deliver us another, but he will deliver us. And then last week, last week on what day we celebrate the 4th of July, uh, we preached from Joel in chapter 2, and, and we heard about that we blew Shafar, and we heard about the importance of repenting. And I really still hope that the, the video last week is just running in your mind. The different sins we saw and how important it is. If we're going to see revival in America, how important it is that we realize that those sins are hindering revival in America. They're hindering what God wants to do in our lives, in our church, in our marriages, in our families. It's just hugely important. And they, those were incredible messages to preach, incredible passages from the Word of God. And then today. Today's practical. Today's not a woo sermon. Today is just a practical message on the Word of God. Because, because what happened in Ezekiel, what happened in Daniel, and what happened in Joel requires us to believe, to grasp, to understand, to apply the Word of God. So I pray today that, that you'll have your Bible ready to open in just a few moments um, as we look at Amos in chapter 7 and verse number 7 as our kicking off point. And I want to just go through and try to answer some questions about the Word of God. But I want to begin with these. Uh, these are, we did this just a little while ago with one book, and I've got three here now. But, you know, how do you view the Word of God? Now, now, be honest. How do you really view the Word of God? To some, it's, this book is entitled, we've had this forever with our kids, The Christian Mother Goose Book. And what it does, it takes nursery rhymes, which are just whimsical sayings, and put a little bit of a Christian spin on it. Is that what the Word of God is to you? Now, come on, be honest. The, the stories you read, the things it commands and doesn't command, or just says do or don't do, are they like nice Christian sayings, whimsical Christian sayings, and you put a little bit of God spin on it, and you go, yeah, that, that's, that's nice. For a lot of people, it is. It's no more than a nursery rhyme. And then for some... It's like this book here, which you can't see, I understand, but it's written by Francine Rivers, and it's called The Prince. And it's the story of Moses, kind of. It's a historical novel. That is, they took the knowledge of the Bible, what we knew about Moses, and then Francine Rivers puts her own spin and adds a few details to it, 
And it's kind of history and it's kind of not. And I wonder how many of us today look at God's word that way. You know, kind of truth, kind of not. Kind of applicable when it's good and it benefits me and when it's hard, maybe not. How many of us view the word of God like a historical novel? And then, perhaps my favorite and yours is Reader's Digest. Reader's Digest is a digest of stories. And, and it's, got, it's got some helpful information in it. It's got some suggestions in it. It's got humor in it. It's, it's really mostly true. Kind of, sort of, you know? I mean, come on. When you're sharing with your friends some great fact, you know, and, and then you go, well, where did you get that from? Readers digest, and they look at it and go, are you kidding me? I mean, let's just be honest. And what I'm about to tell you is the honest truth. Are you ready? Okay. A zillion years ago, probably 17, 18 years ago, Jenny subscribes to Reader's Digest, and, and we, you know, we have it in our house, and I was reading in it, and here's what it said, not this copy. It said, people with a crease in their earlobe are like 50% more likely to have a heart attack. 18 years later, I still look in the mirror to see if I have a crease. Now, I'm not, come on, I'm being very, I'm being dead serious. And what I finally realized is that when I lost weight, the crease disappeared. And when I gained some weight back, the crease came back. I think the truth is, you're likely to have a heart attack if you have a crease here. That's not it. It's that the skinnier you are, maybe the better off you are. I don't know. But I looked this morning, and I'm halfway there. There's a crease in this ear, but not in this ear. Okay? So, so we're doing pretty good. We're doing, but that's the truth. Every, every day I look in the mirror. Have I not told you this before, Gene Taylor? I have. I said, hmm, I've got a crease. Must be careful there, all right? But you know what? Probably the most applicable book, a, a, a comparable to the Bible, is what I have in my hand. It's an instruction manual. It tells me, in this case, I went in the kitchen, I forgot to bring, bring my house. It tells me how to run the bun coffee maker. It tells me how to clean it, how to turn it on. And you know, it's a really useful tool when it comes to that bun coffee maker. And really, that's what the Bible is. It's so much more than just an instruction manual, but it really tells us how to do life. It tells us all about a God who loves us. It tells us so many things about how to make this life abundant. Now, here's the kicker, and this is really cool. I grabbed this out of the drawer. I was talking with someone. I can't remember who it was. I turned around, looked at it, and I realized something. It's either written in French or Spanish. Manuel de Operation Ye Servicio. Is it Spanish? Is it Spanish? So, you know what, though? Watch this. Watch this. I got the instruction manual. Problem number one, I don't speak Spanish. And that's why it's important you understand that you need a guide to help you understand this marvelous instruction book called the Bible. And that is the Holy Spirit. Amen? He, have, you ever, have, there been times when, have there been times when you're just like you're reading the Bible, all of a sudden something goes wham off the page? That's the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do today is I want to start in Amos. And talk about that situation. And then take five or six scriptures and let's just talk about the word of God. With my goal being one, this. That when you leave here, you'll have a better grasp and understanding and desire on reading and applying the word of God. 
Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this privilege today. Father, several times we paused. And there's no accident, there's no habit that causes me to pause right now. Father, with all my heart, I believe that if your people, us, wins, will get a grasp of the Bible and honor it and read it and believe it and practice it, Father, it could radically change our lives, our families, our churches, our country, in fact, our world. In fact, God, I acknowledge before you today, I believe the Word of God is essential to this society that we are praying so deeply about changing. Father, help us not to be a people of the book, just in words only. May we be a people of the book, practically, in our lives. Holy Spirit, it's not going to happen without you. It does not lie in the power of a speaker, a choice of words, the way it's presented. Holy Spirit, I acknowledge before you today that it's up to you and you alone to speak to the hearts of these people. Word of God, speak. Pour down upon us like rain. I pray this, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. And all God's people said... All right, so here we are, and we're in Amos, okay, written long about the time Jonah was, about 700 years before the birth of Christ, okay? And I really like Amos, because Amos was a shade tree preacher. Didn't have the degrees, didn't have anything. In fact, one of the kings said, well, aren't you a prophet? And he goes, I'm not a prophet. He said, in fact, I gather figs, and I'm a sheep breeder. He goes, I'm not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet. So Amos was an ordinary guy that God chose to use. Israel had once again started drifting away from God, just drifting away a little at a time. And finally God said, enough. And chose to speak through Amos, a very little known prophet. But it was God speaking and not the sheep breeder. It was God speaking and not the gatherer of figs. And in chapter 7, verse number 7, here's what he says. Thus he showed me, behold, the Lord stood on a wall made with a plumb line. Now, you remember what a plumb line is? You have a string, you have some sort of weight on the end, and by the force of gravity, the plumb line will always fall straight. Gravity forces the plumb line to fall straight. All right? So he was standing on a wall made with a plumb line, and plumb line in his hand, verse 8. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. So what has happened, a little long, Israel had drifted away, drifted away, and drifted away, and finally God said enough. And he said a plumb line, his word given through Amos. And God's word always falls straight. Amen? Listen, listen, write this down. Whether it's me, Brent, David, whoever it might be, whoever you listen to on the radio or on the television, if it does not line up with the word of God, beware. The word of God falls straight. The word of a man will straw fall crooked. Amen? So, so, so 
Amos says, I see this plumb line, and God says, this plumb line is my word. It falls straight. Because, you know, you know, I'm not a builder. When we built the, the Pergama thing, you know, I didn't know a clue about it. That's why I got some help uh, from Brother Greg. Uh, he's a great help. Brother Joe Candy, a great help. And, and here's what I learned out, though. It was so important. They measured, they measured, they measured to make sure it was straight. Because if you start out here and have a little error, by the time you get out 16 feet, you've got a big error. If you're off a half inch here, you'll be off four inches out there. That's why it's so important that we trust the Word of God and follow the Word of God. That's why it's important we have God's plumb line in our marriages, in our family, in our church, in our country, in our integrity, in our lives. The Word of God is Crucial. It's not something like a Reader's Digest that we fall back on when things get a little tough or we think we might need a suggestion on how to do life. The, the Word of God is God's manual for worshiping Him, honoring Him, glorifying Him, and on how He thinks we need to do life. How He knows we ought to do life. So what I've done on the sermon sheet, I hope you have a copy of that. I've gone through and asked several questions about the Word of God. How, what do we know about the Word of God? And can the Word of God be trusted? Now the first thing is this. My first question was, what is the origin of the Bible? What is the origin of the Bible? Now my approach to this was something just a little bit different than you might expect. Watch this. The scripture I chose on the sermon sheet comes from John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and verse number 14. Very familiar scriptures. But watch this. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And the Word became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. What I want you to see today is this. Why did John choose the word, word, to describe Jesus Christ? Because the main purpose of the word of God is to reveal God to us. And Jesus was our Savior. Jesus was our, our Redeemer. Jesus is our King. Jesus is our Lord. He's our Provider. He's all of that. But Jesus is a great revealer of the Father. So Jesus comes down to earth. He's born of a virgin, born in a manger. When he's 33 years old, he begins his public ministry. And as he begins his public ministry, he is there to do something huge. He is there to reveal who God really is. Because the religious leaders of that day had so twisted God up, it didn't make sense anymore. So Jesus came and said this, If you want to know what the Father is like, Take a look at me. In fact, in John chapter 14 and verse number 8, here's what happens. Philip, one of the disciples, said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father, so how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. So Jesus says, if you want to know what my Father is like, look at me. That's huge, guys. That's huge. Because in that culture, like our culture today, we have twisted it all up. 
And we need to get back to the plumb line and see what God is really like. God is not Santa Claus. He's not the tooth fairy. Uh, he, he's not some great grandfather up there who's just whatever is okay. will wink at your sin. Uh, everybody gets in at the end. That's not God. But so many people have twisted Particularly in Western culture, we have twisted and made God into what we want him to be, just like the Pharisees did in that day. They created a God that was works-based only. That's all it was, just works-based. And the more holy you were, the better you were, the closer you were to God. There is no giant scale. Jesus was all about showing God's grace, his forgiveness to those who would trust His Son, Jesus Christ. So Jesus was the Redeemer, but Jesus was the great revealer of God the Father. That's huge. So, how many of you have ever been to a funeral that I do? Anybody? Yeah, 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 yeah. What do I say? Frequently I say this. Especially if it's to a congregation that does not know Jesus Christ, the person was lost, or perhaps all the families lost. I will often read from the Bible a scripture that describes who God is. And I am not afraid. And I will tell you today. The reason I do that is because we preachers have done a simply horrible job of telling people what God really is like. So I decided one day it's time to let God speak for himself. Let his word speak to us. That's what Jesus did. And then when Jesus left, God gave us. His word through, through, through the writings of different people. His word came together. And guess what this book is? This book is the final revelation of God. So if you want to know about God, do you pick up Reader's Digest? No. Do you, if you really want to know about God, do you even pick up... Now listen, I'm not against books. I'm not against books. I'm not against authors. But your ultimate source... For knowing God today is found in His holy word, the Bible. If you want to know what God says on a subject, go to the book. Why get it third hand, second hand, fourth hand through some other author when as believers in Jesus Christ, as priests in the kingdom of God, we had the right and privilege to read, understand, and apply this precious book to our lives. And boy, does God have some great advice. Does God have some great things? Some of you struggling in your marriage. Listen, listen, listen. Yes, get counseling. That's a wonderful thing. Find a Christian counselor. But I truly believe the ultimate source for information and fixing your marriage lies right here. Some of you are struggling. Oh, what, what kind of parent should I be? I'm wrestling with my children. What should I do? For goodness sake, hear your pastor. Turn to the Word of God. Listen, I'm in debt to my eyeballs. And there's lots of practical helps to help you get out of debt. But ultimately, the source is turn to the Word of God. I'm struggling with my emotions. Turn to the Word of God. I'm struggling with who I am. Turn to the Word of God. This book is a one. Now, listen, if you need algebra, get you an algebra book. The Bible is a sor- an expert source on the subject it addressed. As far as I know, it does not address algebra. But on what it addressed, turn to the Word of God. It is God's final revelation of Himself to us today. We must be a people of the book. If we're going to see revival, if we're going to see revival, we've got to become a people of the book. Come on, that's a good place for an amen. If we truly, listen, if we truly want America turned around, if we want to see America once again on track, running to God and away from God, His people have got to become a people of the book. 
We've got to know what we believe and why we believe it. So we can talk to those folks out there who've been brainwashed by college professors and brainwashed by other people, brainwashed by the media, brainwashed by culture, and tell them, thus saith the Lord. Now, I used a key word I want you to catch. It was God's final revelation. There will be no more truth. This is truth. When you're a pastor claiming to have a new truth from God, beware. This is the complete final revelation of God to himself. Interesting. The second most popular religious book in the world, beside the Bible, is the Koran. Check this out. Muhammad had a series of revelations. And any instructed Muslim will tell you that the Koran is full, they won't deny this, it's full of contradictions. Because Muhammad would get a vision and later on get a later vision that would contradict the first vision. And they have scholars whose job it is to find out what revelation came last so they know how to act and what to believe. Now, I'm not pulling this out of the air. Check it out. Why is that so important, Dwayne? Because you don't see revisions to the Word of God. You don't see a new revelation. You don't see contradictions in the Word of God. This is a book through thousands of years that can be trusted. It stood the test of time. Read it, believe it, and apply it. So, secondly this, then. What makes the Bible different? Well, I keep saying it's the Word of God. Over in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, Paul writing to the young preacher boy says this. All Scripture. Now, how much? All Scripture. Now, I really like this. I heard this at Moody this year when I was up there for my pastor's conference. I go to it in May. You know, he said, you know, we have a tendency to discount the Old Testament. Okay, now there's some of the Old Testament law that, that we are free from that law, but it's still all the Word of God. And the guy said, it's not, it shouldn't be Old Testament, New Testament. It should simply be God's Word in Hebrew and God's Word in Greek. Okay? It's all still, all Scripture, he says, is breathed out by God. And it literally means he is Exiled of God. It's the exile. It's the very essence of God. This, listen, this is the essence of God. This is God, if you will, in printed form. God breathed these words out. That's why they're living. That's why they're powerful. That's why they're worthy of your reading and your obedience. Do you believe that today? Can I have an amen? I'm telling you guys, it'll change your life. If we will read and apply the Word of God. It comes from within God. All Scripture is breathed out. All Scripture is exhaled from God. He goes on and says this. So what good is it? It's profitable. It's good for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that... The person of God, the man of God, because he's speaking to a young preacher boy, the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's profitable for teaching. Now get that. This is where I wish you had some fire or something. 
teaching is this. How you do life. Paul writing to Timothy said, the, the word of God is profitable for learning how to do life. Do you know parents? It's profitable for raising your kids. You, you guys that are married, it's profitable for being the husband and wife you need to be. Those of you who are struggling in career paths, it's, it's profitable for learning what the will of God is for your life. It's huge. It's for teaching. It is for correction. Excuse me, for reproof and for correction. Reproof being showing you what's wrong. This morning, we were in Sunday school. And we're in Galatians chapter 5. And it's where, where Paul says, you know, be filled with the Spirit. Or, you know, have the Spirit. Be spirit, walk in the Spirit. And, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then they list this like 19, it seems like, really gross sins. And I, I, I paused you. I said, gee, time out. I said, hey, kids. And I'm old enough now to call young married people kids. I said, I wonder what the kids were thinking. You know, don't, 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 don't. I said, let me ask you a question. Put everything aside. If you were allowed to live that kind of life, adultery, fornication, envy, jealousy, hatred, robbery, dissensions, all those things, does that even look like an attractive lifestyle to you? That's like people say, I love to drink. There's nothing like getting snot drunk, waking up in your own vomit the next day. I just love it. Come on. Come on. That kind of life, it's not profitable. God gives us the don'ts because he knows, one, it doesn't bring glory to his name, first and foremost. But secondly, it doesn't lead to a good life. You know, I've not seen too many sexual sins that make for a great marriage. I've not seen too much hatred and bitterness and jelly and dissension that leads to great friendships. God gives us that stuff and says, these stuff, man, they're sins. And they damage your life here. But then he comes along with this nine fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long suffering, you know, self-control, all those different ones. And I'm thinking to myself, now choose between the two. You're going to have the one where you wake up in your own vomit or the one where you love your wife like nothing else. Or you love your children like no one else. Or there's joy in your life. Which would you pick? That's why God gives us the word of God. It's profitable for teaching. For rebuke. For correction. Correction is fixing the problem. Fixing the problem. How how do you fix an addiction? God God gives us the Holy Spirit. Power strength. Yes, we're involved. I I can do. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then, then he ends up by saying this. You know, but not only that, training. How you avoid it the next time. How you avoid the affair next time. How you avoid the, the bitterness next time. How you avoid the dissension next time. It's profitable, guys. This is not a book to be dreaded. This is a book to be embraced. Man, if I was ever five minutes late, it was the night of the memorial service for the tornado. I sat back down after I did my little introductory thing. And I said, boy, I wish I'd said this. I said, I would like for the news people to go back and report to Southern Illinois that Harrisburg is not running from God. It's running to God. 
And I would count today a huge preaching, teaching success. If you leave here today and say, no longer do I see this as a book to run from. I see it as a book to embrace. Then I'll know that the Holy Spirit did His sweet work. Because when you start seeing this book as something to embrace, all of a sudden you don't dread reading it. Come on, you know. If you've ever struggled with weight, if you're on a good, strong diet... You look forward to that scale. Scale is your butt. After eating a piece of pecan pie. Okay. Three. Okay, the pie. You eat it on Friday. You got to weigh on Monday. Is the scale your friend? No, you'll find every excuse. You'll find every excuse not to get on that scale. Is it any different? The more you fall in love with Christ and love with God and believe this book, the more you can't wait to get on it. The more you're walking away from it, pull from it, the harder it is for you to pick up and read it. The next question is this. So who wrote the Bible? 2 Peter 1.21, and we're going to get all three scriptures here. But 2 Peter 1.21 says this. For prophecy never came, never came, never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Bible has one author, and that is God. And it has 40 contributing authors, contributors. 30 in the Old Testament, 10 in the New Testament, but one author. Many styles, many styles. It's so cool. God didn't, like, force the hand. You, you look at Mark, you see one style. You look at Luke, you see one style. You look at John, you see another style. You look at Matthew, you see another style. But God spoke through these men, guiding their thoughts, allowing them to write their own style. It's huge. One author, 40 contributors. It's just a huge thing. And you know what's cool is? Written over 1,600 Years. This is amazing. 1,600 years. And how many messages? One. All the way, back, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, he said, there's coming a Redeemer. And it ends with, the Redeemer is King. It's incredible. Guys, there's no other book like this. Yes, men were used by God. But God is the author of the book. Can't you make the Bible say anything you want? Uh-huh. Do people? Uh-huh. How many of y'all like Christmas trees? Anybody like Christmas trees? Check this out. Now, you, you want to write this reference down. Jeremiah chapter 10. People who don't like commercialism at Christmas... Love this passage. Roy Smith Allen, when we put up our Christmas tree, said, Did you know the Bible speaks against Christmas trees? I said, Well, where? Jeremiah 10, 1. Hear the word which the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord. Do not learn the way of the Gentiles. Do not be dismayed at the signs of heaven. For the Gentiles are dismayed at them. For the custom of the peoples are futile. For one cuts a tree from the forest... The work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. 
They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammers and nails and hammers so that it will not topple. See, so you can't have a Christmas tree. Is that talking about Christmas trees? No. In that culture, there's a culture who worship trees. But people will take this scripture and flaunt their, their self-righteousness and say, if you have a Christmas tree, you're violating the word of God. You can make the Bible, you can stone your kid this afternoon for disobedience. Don't you do it. Don't you do it. You can make the Bible. You know, back in, back in I think it's Leviticus, it mentions tattoos. Uh, back in Deuteronomy, it mentions a woman wearing pants. And there are people who sell their soul on a woman not wearing a pair of pants. But in that same scripture, in that same scripture, in that same scripture, it says you can't wear linen and cotton together. They ignore that one. People will jump on a verse and create a doctrine, and it's wrong. You can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. Now, listen to 2 Peter uh, 1, 16-18, and then we'll jump on the Scripture sheet. Peter's writing about the great mountaintop experience with Jesus Christ. For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Talking about the mountaintop where Jesus was transfigured before them. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, a voice came to him from the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son. I take delight in him. And when we heard this voice, when it came from heaven, when we were, at, when we were with him on the holy mountain. Now, the sermon sheet continuing. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. The mountaintop confirmed the prophetic experience. Which you do well to heed as light that shines in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, knowing that prophecy is confirmed in the New Testament, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. You do a great misjustice to the Word of God when you take a, a verse here and a verse here and a verse here and a verse here and build doctrines on it. Grab a promise here that was made to Moses and you're trying to claim it. There is continuity in this book. Come on now. There's continuity in this book. Make sure you follow the continuity. Don't make the, don't twist the Bible around. An old preacher said, maybe Vance Hadmer said one time, when the Bible makes sense, don't make nonsense of it. Don't make nonsense of it. This is a glorious Powerful, living book. Let it stand as the Word of God. Sometimes we preachers will sit there and we'll come up with an idea and then try to find a verse to make it support our idea. How crazy is that? God had the best idea. There's continuity, there's flow through the Word of God. It's incredible to me. I won't take time. I definitely won't take time to read Isaiah 53. I plan to do that. But it's a beautiful scripture about the suffering Messiah. A concept the Jews couldn't even grasp. It was written 700 years before the death of Jesus Christ. 700 years. And yet it aptly portrays the death of Jesus Christ on Calvary. How incredible is that? Because the prophecy confirms what happened in the New Testament. It's incredibly powerful. Incredibly. Check this out. I've given this to you before, but you need it again. 
1946, I believe, when, if, that, if that's not the right date, please don't crucify me. When the shepherd boy threw the rock into the cave and her breaking pottery, and they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, and the Dead Sea Scrolls was a almost totally complete copy of the book of Isaiah. And with the exception of a couple of very, very minor scribal differences, it's the exact same book of Isaiah that you've got in your Bible. Now, how is that possible? Because this book is God's Word. Come on! It's God's Word. Believe it. Live it. Follow it. Apply it. Apply it. All right, real quick. So, isn't it enough to read your Bible? You know, I hope you're following. I didn't ask. You know, July 1st was halfway through our, our year reading. Um, I hope you're doing that. But, you know, isn't it enough just to read? I mean, if I get up every morning and read my two or three or four chapters, I mean, that is, is that enough? And the answer is a flat no. It's not enough. You know, it's not enough for me to call the doctor and say, I need to make an appointment. And then totally ignore what he says. It's not enough for me to sign up uh, you know, at Shawnee Fitness and say, I want to make a, get a membership and never go. You've got to do more than read the Word of God. You've got to apply the Word of God. Guys, you've got to. You've got to. There's really little power in rote ritual. There's little power in just coming to church if all you do is sit there and do nothing with it. There's so little with doing the word, just reading the Word of God unless you do it. Now, James puts it this way. Be doers of the words and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man that he is. Example. I'm out mowing grass. It's dirty. You know how dusty it is right now. I'm dirty and dusty, you know. I get all this dust on my face. I go and say, man, I need to wash my face. Rather than take the time right then, I put it off to later. Then Judy says, hey, honey, would you go to Walmart and get me some sour cream, please? And I say, sure. I jump in my, get my wallet, keys, jump in my car, forgetting I am covered with dirt. James says, when we sit in a service, when we read the, we read the Word of God, and it speaks to our hearts, but we do nothing with it, we're like that kind of a man. We recognize the problem. We choose not to do anything with it. And ta-da, we remain the same. But watch this. He says, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, work, this one will be blessed in what he does. God says when we hear the word of God, apply the word of God, we are blessed. Say with me. We are blessed less. That means better marriages. That means better parenting, better careers, better lives, you know, uh, happier in quotes, more joyful living, the abundant life. When we hear and do, we are blessed. But when we read and don't do, at the end of the year we can go, read the Bible. When we listen to the Word of God, don't ever respond. Just listen to the Word of God. We go out same way in and out. There's no change. If you're going to get something different than corn, you've got to plant something different than corn. Amen? Huge. So no, 
It's not enough just to read the Word of God. And I'll look in the eye and tell you this. Yes, listen. It's not enough just to come to church. Dwayne, I went to church all my... Dwayne, for ten years I sat under your preaching and my kids grew up to be chainsaw murderers. Did you apply what you heard? Did you apply what this guy poured into your lives and the lives of your children? Hello? I mean, we may have some responsibility, okay? But the greatest sermons your kids are ever going to preach, the great example of the Bible your kids are ever going to see is mute. Do you know what Timmy said about the, the, the youth? That's why we got to really pray for our kids that when they are guiding those kids this week, those little kids look up those teenagers, and we got to make sure that they're, they're screwed on the right pole with Jesus. Because the little kids are looking at the big kids, the big kids are looking at the adults. We've got to make sure we do the Word of God. Last one says, How, what can I do to make the Word a part of my life? I love this scripture. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. How, how can a young man cleanse his way? That's really good in the brand for youth. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. According to Psalm 119... How do we get in our lives? We read it. We believe it. We apply it. And we even hide it. That's what we do. You're at work. And a co-worker says, you know, I'm really struggling right now in my life. I just wonder if there's a God. Ding, 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 ding. Open door, open door, prepare to walk. But you don't have your Bible with you. So you need to be able to share from your heart what God has done in your life. Guys, I'm telling you. Like they, I, frankly, I like to jump around sermons. Woo, woo. This is so important. Would you fall in love with your Bible today? Would you fall in love? You know what? And I, I, there is one thing up there. You know what? The Bible on the iPhone is still the Bible. If I print a scripture on the page, it doesn't stop being the Bible because it's printed here. The, the thing kind of indicated you got to have a printed copy, and I hope you have a printed copy. But Judy's got her iPad this morning, and that's the Word of God. Fall in love with the Word of God. Fall in love with the Word of God. It can change you. It can change your family. It can change our church. It can change our town. It can change our county. It can change our state. And it can change this country. Can you just fathom with me for a moment? I don't think this is political, but... You know, our president says that he's a practicing Christian and sees no problem with same-sex marriage. The other guy is a Mormon who believes in a book besides the Bible. I know it's a tough choice. I understand that. But can you even fathom what it would be like if every day the president of the United States woke up and said, Hey, God, this is the president of the United States. I need help. 
instead of turning to political cronies or what might make him popular that day, he opened this book and got his advice from right here. Can I have a word? How would that change our country? Well, Dwayne, how's that going to happen? Well, it happens here. It happens here. It happens with God's people gathered around churches like this across southern Illinois in America praying for revival, praying and living the Word of God in their lives. That's how it happens. Guys, I honestly believe, I know some of y'all think I'm off base, and that's okay. If you agree with everything I said, that'd be weird. I'm telling you, a huge part of the future of America is sitting before me today and other pastors in this great land. What we do with Jesus and the Word of God and living it out may determine the kind of America your kids grow up in. So would you bow your heads right there? I told you that at the end of the message, if somehow you had a better grasp of what the Bible was, is, how it affects our lives, I would count this a successful teaching day. May I reiterate that? May I reiterate that? Sir, are you struggling with being the husband you need to be? Can, can I encourage you to get in the book? The book of Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives. He's as Christ loved the church and gave itself for it. Ma'am, are you struggling to be the wife that you need to be? Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Are you, are you struggling on parenting? Proverbs 22, 6, tramp a child the way that his go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. A principle from the book of Proverbs. Are you facing a critical illness? A fire? A storm? Go back to Nebuchadnezzar looking in the fire and seeing the fourth man, knowing you'll never walk alone. Going to Hebrews chapter 10 where Jesus says, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. When my dear young friends here in church was talking about sins last week and she said, Dwayne, how, is, how can fear be a sin? And I said, because it shows a lack of trust in God. And I went to 2 Timothy 1.7. God's not given us a spirit of fear but of power, love, and a sound mind. This week, I was wrestling with a relationship with a person. I was talking with Judy about it. And I'm preaching a series on Jonah and Nineveh next week. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh because he hated the Ninevites. He's afraid God would forgive them. And I turned to Jen and said, oh no, I'm Jonah. And that person could be a Ninevite. And I'm withholding love. I'm doing the same thing Jonah did. Ouch. The word spoke. The word spoke. Would you let the word of God speak to you today? Now give me one minute. This is for the person that's here today and does not know Jesus Christ as Savior. The gospel in that shell is this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I want you to know something. There's a God and he's holy. And you sinned against him and you deserve his full wrath. But he has made a way that you can come to relationship with him through his Son, Jesus Christ. So my friends will be standing down front. I'm going to have heads bowed and eyes closed in a moment. I would love to share with you. They would love to share with you about their best friend. If there's anything we can pray with you about at the altar, we'd be glad to do that.
If you'll make a new commitment to the word of God. Okay, God. Just what David said. Okay, God, here it is. Here it is, God. And you hear it, learn what God's got in mind through his word. Through his word. So, Father, thank you for the privilege of speaking today about this wonderful book. This incredible living book we call the word of God. May we rightly divide. Father, Second Timothy. May we rightly divide the word of God. May we not twist it to say what we want to say. But may it say what you intended it to say. May we practice it. Apply it. And believe it. Do something Holy Spirit in our lives today. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.